Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, ladies and gents. Happy Halloween week. It is crazy to say it is the last week of October. This month definitely flew by way faster than September, in my opinion. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, September, I think, did have five weeks, technically. So that month was, you know, longer by nature. But um, it's crazy because as well, this also means that I have been living in New York City for just about precisely two months because I moved here on August 29th. So it is weird for me to think about how three months ago, which is July, I was still living in LA. And I remember the moment when I was sitting and probably just like staring at the ocean of some sort. I was just thinking to myself like what is it going to feel like when you have been living in New York for two months so I was thinking about what this moment would feel like because I was in high anticipation of moving and all that but I also was trying to stay present and not get too ahead of myself because I know how too much excitement for something can really ruin the actual event itself or the journey towards it so I am always trying to be mindful about enjoying the journey towards a specific event or a specific goal accomplishment whatever um but yes welcome back to the what fulfills you podcast my name is emily elizabeth if you are brand new to the show and on today's episode i will be diving in the topic of love and deep work and self-work and all of that good stuff with a love and life coach her name is veronica and just a little bit about her she's the host of love life connection podcast and creator of the deep work deep love course and she helps successful women who feel like they have it all except love find it her work has been featured in O, oh, The Oprah Magazine, Bustle, Your Tango, and countless podcasts, including Let It Out and Mind Body Musings. As someone who struggled in love herself and was tired of unsolicited and usually patronizing dating advice, she created the resources she wished were available before she met her husband. Through her binge-worthy podcasts, free challenges, and coaching, she's here to shake up how you find love, even in our swipe right, swipe left world. So I just want to share some thoughts before we dive into the episode. I just want to say that this conversation I think is really helpful and useful for women, especially in their 20s, because we really talk about the difference in playing a game and being emotionally available and just how women should be considering their approach to dating versus what some of us were told in the past or maybe some of the advice that modern day influencers are providing with dating advice i just think again to each their own it's everyone's preference and whatever works for you you should be able to continue to do that but if what you're doing is not working then i think this conversation will be extremely valuable for you and for me when it comes to dating i've always been someone that loves to have better insight in myself and how I can continuously improve 
for myself so I can attract the right person and right people that includes friends into my life. And so that is a big focus of what Veronica talks about as well, which is you got to do the deep work on yourself. It really starts with you. And when you put the focus on yourself, it is a positive domino effect, not only in your romantic relationship, but also in other areas of your life. And I'm a firm believer in that as well, just because I have always noticed when I am focused on myself, my energy is focused on what I'm doing, not what other people are doing. I see how that energy is reflected onto other people and they're seeing that and they feel that and they're more attracted to me. And and then later on I reflect, I'm like, oh wow, it's so weird how that person came into my life, you know, as I was already focused on myself and so forth. So you will notice that as well as when you do the work on yourself and when you're not truly looking for something, that's when you often attract the right energy into your life. So I'm not going to say anymore. Um, I think you guys, again, will love this episode and conversation. So with that being said, let's dive into it. I've always believed the foundation of our fulfillment in life doesn't come from our quote-unquote success, but rather the strength of our relationships, not only with others, but also ourselves. And how we develop a deeper connection is through self-reflection and purposeful conversations with those around us, especially like-minded individuals. And that is exactly why I created the What Fulfills You card game, to cultivate both more meaningful relationships with others, as well as ourselves on the journey of personal growth. I certainly use these questions as a guide for journal prompts and, of course, weekly check-ins with myself. And when I am playing this game with friends on a Friday night in, you bet I am enjoying it with a glass of wine or two, who knows. <laughs> Pre-order the card game now at whatfulfillsyou.com and enjoy an exclusive 10% off for listeners only with code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. That's whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout at whatfulfillsyou.com. Enjoy! Well, Veronica, thank you for joining me today. I am very excited, as I mentioned, to chat all about dating, relationships, emotional availability, all of that good stuff. Um, but first, let's just start with your story. Can you just share where you are from, even a little bit of your childhood, anything that could really give a glimpse uh, for the audience into just your background and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So my name is Veronica. I'm a love and life coach for women who feel like they have it all except love. Um, I grew up in a small town in North Carolina called Asheville. When I was growing up, no one knew where it was. So I just said North Carolina, but now it's like always in the New York Times. So I guess people know where it is now. But um, so I grew up in a little mountain town. And, you know, a lot of my childhood was I mean, it was very normal. Um, I certainly had a lot of privilege, um, but it was just like a quote unquote normal childhood, not one that, uh, you know, that I, I didn't think was anything like remarkable until I just started to figure out or I started to ask myself, why was I attracting a bunch of people who didn't want what I wanted in terms of a romantic relationship? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so there's so many ways I could tell the story, but what I'll just say, say is, I had been in two relationships right in a row, right in a row when I was in my twenties and they were basically like the same kind of relationship as a different person. And basically what that meant was I really wanted to like marry this person, Mm. uh, not because I actually loved them, but because I loved the idea (laughs) of them and, uh, they weren't that into me. And I refused to read the writing on the wall. 
I ignored that and was really, really happy when they would like initiate hanging out or whatever. And I would Mm. like cling to that. And then of course, like would be having the worst days ever when I didn't hear from them or if there was like one less explanation point in their text or whatever. (laughs) So (laughs) so that was basically like two significant relationships, boom, boom, right in a row. And when the second one was falling apart and I knew that like, I just could no longer control, there was nothing I could do to salvage it. Um, that actually sent me to my, my first time in my life to therapy. And I actually don't think she was a therapist therapist. I think she was like a spiritual kind of counselor, whatever that exactly meant. I'm not totally sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to her and, um, we were talking and she was like, asking me about my childhood and my parents and my family. And I was like, I just really want to know how I can get this guy back and make him love me. Like, why are we talking about this? Like, this is stupid. Um, and so we were talking, we were talking and I, I don't remember exactly what I said, to be honest, but there was something I said and her response was, oh, so your family wasn't that emotionally available growing up. And I was like, um, oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah, 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 you're right. You're, you're, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like it took like a second for me to like, oh my God. Um, and, and so, and, and that just made me relook at my childhood, like, you know, you know, through completely different lenses. I think a lot of times when we have, when people have experienced trauma in their childhood, whether it was divorce or death or someone mm-hmm. you know, addiction or abuse or anything like that, then it can feel more obvious as to why that might affect future relationships, particularly romantic relationships. What feels less obvious is when like there was a lot of privilege or quote unquote normalcy, um, mm-hmm. in your childhood. And, um, but like the fact is that you're still raised by humans and humans are imperfect and they're, and they're beings like everyone is, doesn't mean your parents are bad or whatever. It's just, mm-hmm. is what it is. And so when I look back at my childhood, I can think like, oh, like my parents actually didn't know how to emotionally regulate. So there was lots of like temper tantrums. There was lots of like, like disregard for people's boundaries, disregard for people's mm-hmm. wants. If I ever said what I wanted and like, I was being selfish, especially if that it was in conflict with what someone else in the family wanted, like that was selfish of me or whatever. Um, and also there was like this whole idea of, of like body and our body size, especially among the women and girls in my family. So if I was looking skinnier, then I would probably get compliments by like my grandma or my mom or like other women in my family. And so then that reinforced like, oh, but I can feel loved if I feel, I, I didn't make, I didn't say that word. I, f- I could feel good. Like I could feel like I was getting yeah, that yeah. void, you know, met or that void filled if I could get that kind of attention from mom yes. or other people. And so, um, so that was basically my childhood, but again, like, you know, I went to school, there's never a question of whether or not there was going to be food on the table. Um, my parents were, they're actually married. They did get divorced, but not in my childhood. Um, and, uh, I had lots of friends, like, you know, yeah. if you just asked me like 10 years ago, like, yeah, life is great. Um, and this happens to my clients so often, like, yeah, my life is good. And then like, they tell me about their childhood, but life is good. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> let's be a little bit more honest about what it really was like. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, so, so, so basically that was my childhood and that's how I looked at my childhood in this whole new way. Um, and began to unpack it and understand like, oh, so I'm attracting all of these guys who are emotionally unavailable because ultimately I'm emotionally unavailable myself. I don't know how to have like an emotionally intimate kind of relationship and not just even romantic relationships and friendships too. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and also like, I really only knew how to get 
um, what I wanted through my body. Right. And so if I wanted to feel popular, if I wanted to feel cool, if I wanted to get like positive attention from my mom, then like, I could just like lose a few pounds, lose a little bit of weight and, you know, I could look a certain way. And so then Mm -hmm. as an adult, that got translated to like, okay, well maybe if this guy has sex with me, he'll, he'll love me too. And want to be in a relationship. So Mm -hmm. that was the, the lens that I was approaching much of my love life through in my, in my early adulthood, uh, cause that's all I knew. And it really took me just getting to like this breaking point with that second relationship where I just could not go any further to realize like, Oh, like this is not just about this relationship falling apart. Like this, there's like this fundamental need to like deeply want emotional connection from someone. Cause I'm human and that's what I want. That's what every mm-hmm. human wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yet like a lack of ability of how to really do that. Um, and the only way I knew how to do it was by someone filling my void or my, my wounds for me, but that's never sustainable. And that's never actually going to solve any of the problems. So that's what I help people do now. <laughs> I, okay. I'm, you can see this in the listeners camp. But I've been smiling this whole time as you're sharing, because first off, I'm re- like, this is the first time I've ever heard someone really like go into such detail of like how that childhood experience can really parlay over. And I've always, it's so funny too, because I was nodding my head, realizing like it was very similar for me. And I had that realization early on in my first serious relationship of four years that I acted a similar way to a certain parent of mine. And because of that and how that relationship unfolded, that was the catalyst for me to, you know, fix that so-called programming that I grew up with. And so I resonate a lot with what you say in that lack of emotional availability from, you know, certain parents or your family, whatever. And, and like you said too, it's not like a, they're humans. It's not a good or bad thing. It's just that we're all imperfect and, you know, there's certain things that we don't know and we know, and that's how we grow and evolve. So that's super unique that you touched on it. But um, I guess going off of the emotional availability aspect and that filling the void, um, for, first off, like, do you, do you think, I, I guess maybe for you, you could reflect on it. Like, how was it um, impacting specifically in those first two relationships for you because of that lack of emotional availability that you had growing up and within yourself? Like, what were some you know, maybe characteristics or things you were doing that you can look back on now and say like, oh, it was because of a lack of this. And I, and I asked that question for two reasons. One, for people who are listening to reflect on it themselves to maybe for them to trigger like, oh, you know, I kind of do that as well. And maybe to have that self-awareness. But secondly, if, you know, perhaps they're in a relationship or maybe in the talking phase with someone that is like that, and they've been wondering like, why are they like this? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so everyone needs to feel love, safety, and belonging. So if you're listening to this podcast, that includes you. Um, Mm -hmm. and this, and when our brains are wired for this. Okay. So, um, for example, not for example, but what I mean by this is like, even like way back in the human day when we were living in packs, um, we needed to live in a pack of humans to survive. That's how you got warmth and shelter from potentially like other packs of humans, but also like saber tooth tigers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And if you were, if you were shunned from the group, you would do everything you possibly could to get back into that group. 
Um, and so that's why, you know, rejection sucks and hurts so bad. You know, our, our society has evolved very quickly or much quicker than our brains. Our brains don't quite realize that like it's tender. It's not a saber tooth tiger, but you know, <laughs> maybe one day our brains will catch up. So we need to feel love, safety, and belonging. And when you're a child, you need to feel those things. And when you're a very young child, it's not always, cause there certainly is neglect, but it's usually easier for a parent to show that help you feel love, safe, and belong when you're little, right? Like when, like I'm talking like little, like when you like need your butt wiped, when you need to be fed, yeah. you know, all of these things help you to feel those three things, love, safety, and belonging. But mm-hmm. as you get older and you kind of become your own person and your own personality and your own ideas and your own opinions and your own emotional needs, in addition to physical needs, or you don't even really need physical needs as you get mm-hmm. older, really, you need more no- emotional needs and parenting from your parents. If your parents aren't able to do that because their own lack of emotional avail- availability or their own uh, just lack of like healing or whatever, um, then they're not going to be able to provide those things for you. And so you're going to do something to help yourself feel those things. And so, um, so I just want to say that because that's the premise in which like everyone is entering into a relationship as an adult, um, you, the person you're dating, um, it does not matter this, their sexual orientation, their age, mm-hmm. if they've been married or whatever, like nothing like this stuff will follow you until your thirties and forties and fifties and sixties and beyond until you decide to heal it. Um, so, so in this, in this relationship in particular, the first one, I'll just say, so this person, I dated him after after I was in, like, after I had finished college, but I knew him from college and he was very popular on our campus and it was mm-hmm. a big campus. So to be like kind of popular and be known by most of the student body was kind of a big deal. Cause like the student body was like 20,000 students, you know, it was big. Uh-huh. And so he pursued me and he was interested in me. And so for me, I was like, Whoa, this guy's into me like what? And not only was it the first time that someone had really pursued me like that, it was someone that I had put on that kind of pedestal or that kind of caliber that had pursued me. And so what it bumped up against was just this deep feeling or deep desire to feel loved. And remember I left, I lived in a house that just wasn't really emotionally available and people just kind of exploded emotions all over the place. And so you just kind of kept your feelings to yourself. And it's not even a fact that it's not even the problem that my, I, I knew my parents loved me. I know they still love me. So that's not really the issue. Like I can logically know that. Um, but I wasn't getting the emotional needs, the emotional yep. piece was not getting met. And so this person then shows up and is giving me this attention. And I could just say like, oh yeah, that was just 20 something me, like loving this guy, you know, being into me, which sure. But also the thing that actually kept me really attached to that relationship, even though it was well beyond its expiration date and was definitely falling apart was like this little girl, me who was like, but I just need to feel loved. And so giving up that relationship, wasn't just giving up this guy that I thought was hot or whatever, but it was giving, it was that little girl giving up, but I, I, I finally felt loved by someone, you know what I mean? Like that was the real battle. And so that was the real issue. And the thing that I needed to address, does that make sense? It does. Okay. Wow. Um, I really love the way you phrased it, where it was that fact that, the the relationship ending wasn't just I mean the surface level part was yes like you know of course we all feel that like oh my god like we like 
you know, being with this person because he's hot and, you know, we don't want to let that part go. That's like surface level status kind of stuff, right? But the deeper part, the emotional need, as you mentioned, that's huge. And I think that should be something everyone should take a moment right now to pause and reflect on, like, you know, in past relationships and current ones, like, why are you so afraid to let go per se, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that, um, you know, I always tell people that, you know, if something happens, you know, you in a relationship and it sucks, but you know, shit happens. Right. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. if the same thing keeps happening over and over again, um, then it's, there's something else playing out. And so your job at that point is to not try to figure out how to get this person to like you back. Your job Mm -hmm. is to figure out what is playing out. Um, and that was the mistake I made. Cause I, you only know what you know. You know what I mean? I didn't know. So I didn't know that I needed to look and see what was really getting played out. Um, but this relationship, it had nothing to do with this guy. It had everything to do with me and this wound around, you know, just not feeling like that sense of like unconditional love. Mm. That love was conditional based on like my behavior or my grades or how my body size or whatever. Um, and so, you know, and, and I think that's true. Like 99% of the time. Now I'm not saying that people that you're in relationship with can't be cruel and can't say or mean or, or, or say or do mean things to you. Like, obviously like they can, and obviously that hurts and mm-hmm. you have to take that at face value. That's just someone being a douche. Do you know what right. I mean? Right. Um, but what I'm talking about is when there's, you know, there's something deeper going on. It's not just that this guy's being an asshole or whatever. Like, you know, there's something else. Like that's when you have to really be honest with yourself and be like, okay, this is not just about this person. Like there is something else that I'm playing out here or something that this person reminds me of, or the situation reminds me of. Sometimes we, we, we recreate situations, you know, like either between our parents or between our parents and ourselves or whatever. And that's kind of the detective work, um, that we have to do to kind of figure out what's, what's going on. Because ultimately when we're playing out a pattern, Ultimately we're emotionally unavailable because we're actually just trying to get that void filled and we're not really available for what we want, even though we might be saying, I want a relationship (laughs) that's different than actually being available for said relationship. Okay. So that's a great pivoting point to dive into wanting a relationship versus being available for one. So can you dive into the difference and i might even end up bringing like a personal story into this to see if you like will dissect it but just uh, yeah i definitely want um for you to yeah share kind of like what the difference is and what issue most people face within that concept that they don't realize right again as i'm sure you have experienced and have heard you know from your clients and other people that there's a lot of people out there wanting a relationship but very much likely aren't available for one Yeah. So I spent a good part of my early adulthood, like wanting a relationship and not realizing that I actually had to be available for it. Um, so the thing is, is that, okay, so I'm going to just speak about heterosexual women for a second. So in our society, like the, the emotionally unavailable man is 
super stereotypical and it feels a bit more obvious, right? So this is the guy who's aloof or non-committal or doesn't like to talk about emotions. Mm-hmm. And a woman might want the commitment, might want to talk about emotions and think, okay, I'm emotionally available. I want this relationship. And this person is not emotionally available for the relationship that I want. And then we can just write it off as that. And then like all of a sudden there's all these emotionally unavailable guys and then our life is horrible, right? <laughs> so that's basically like, well, my dating life in a nutshell for sure for a good many years and a lot of people's uh, dating life. Um, the problem is that there are lots of other ways that we can be emotionally unavailable, but just not realize it. Um, so just a couple of examples. So one is trying to control everything, you know, so like you want to control, like, you know, when you'll see the person again, or like how they feel about you or like this or that, or the texting or the calling or the whatever. And the thing about control is the the controlling is doing everything you possibly can to not get rejected. Right. So you're, so you're basically like trying to protect yourself emotionally and not that like, you just want to be like open. It's a free for all, like your emotions are, which they aren't, but like rejection is just kind of part of the deal. If you want to be looking for love, you might get rejected and you just kind of have to suck it up and deal with it. Now I know that's like kind of like a (laughs) tough love kind of way of saying it. Like I understand like emotion, uh, rejection sucks, right? Like I just talked about like why it sucks, you know, cause it's, it's literally wired in our brains. So I'm not saying it shouldn't be hard. It, it, it probably will be hard and it probably will be devastating when, depending on the situation and what the exactly the rejection is. But if you're trying to avoid rejection at all costs, then what you're doing is you're, you're ultimately, you're shutting yourself down emotionally. Cause you're like, I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel these ways, but I want to feel these ways. And the thing about emotions is that they're kind of all or none. You either get to feel all of them or you get to feel none of them. And so when you shut down these parts of you, these uncomfortable feelings around rejection, um, you also shut down your ability to feel connected or feel joy or calm or peace or love or whatever. And so this is why so often women will tell me that, um, you know, the nice guys are boring or they're not interested (laughs) in the nice guys, but then like the toxic or unavailable or kind of douchebaggy guys are like super attractive (laughs) That's because, well, those guys are bumping up against the core wound. So that's like a reason why those folks seem attractive. But like the nice guys are boring because um, you're kind of shut down. And so you're not really able to connect with them in an emotional emotional way. So, so that's one example. I mean, another example is like assuming that someone's like, like, what do I say in the United States? What's the constitution say? It says, um, it says innocent until proven guilty. Right. Yes. So when, mm-hmm. so when we date a lot of times they're like guilty until proven innocent. <laughs> 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 and, and, and so, um, again, that's kind of being emotionally unavailable. Cause it's like, all right, you know, I'm sitting here with my arms crossed. You prove it to me. Right. You're not really putting yourself out there. You're not really being vulnerable with the person you're expecting them to do all the legwork and to show that, show their emotions, show their vulnerability, show their, like who they really are, but you're waiting until they perform. So, you know, so-called perform, um, before you, um, you know, you know, uh, show yourself. And again, that's being emotionally unavailable. Um, and so, I mean, and these are just a couple of examples, um, but there's lots more and ways that we're actually being emotionally. Oh, the, here's another big one is expecting the right person to be able to break down your walls. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> um, uh, like, yeah, I know I have walls or I've like, you know, I have some hesitations or blocks or whatever, but like the right person, you know, will be able to 
you know, whatever. And this just like feeds into the whole like fairy tale, like, you know, Prince Charming coming up into the tower to save you from the dragon. Like it's kind of the same thing, um, just like the modern day. And also this is like the plot of just about every major rom-com. <laughs> yeah. It's either that or the guy's emotionally unavailable. And then all of a sudden he's, he's emotionally available. Like, so that's another major plot. But um, anyways, I think that what I'm trying to get at is being available, actually available for the relationship that you want. You have to look at all of these things. Like, are you really open to potentially being rejected? Are you really open to sharing your vulnerabilities? And what I mean by vulnerabilities, I don't mean like airing your dirty laundry on the first yeah. date. I mean something as simple as like, I'm really excited to meet you. Um, you know, if you met someone online and you like are texting them in the morning of, and you're like, I'm really looking forward to our date today or mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Or like after a first date, it could simply be like, um, I had a really good time connecting. I would love to do it again, right? If that's how you feel, rather mm -hmm. than like playing the game of like waiting for them to text or but these are all ways in which we're emotionally unavailable because we're not willing to potentially be rejected and putting it all on the other person and then wondering why like they're not doing what we want them. To. Well, they don't want to be rejected either, and you're not giving them anything, right? Um. So I could keep going, but I'll just, I'll leave it here because I know there's, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So do you feel like there's a lot of, um, I guess you could say modern day and there, and this is, I think kind of a push pull where some people are like very in between, don't know really what the right approach is, but oftentimes, especially with, um, a very popular podcast that is hosted by, it, it's a huge one you know, it's call her daddy as I'm sure you've heard of that one, right? There's this stigma that or this concept rather that where she's often teaching and it's funny because I don't listen to the show but I, I hear this through the grapevine um, through other women and they're they're hearing this idea of you gotta basically play this game with them right like half of them are saying oh my gosh I was advised to turn my red receipts on and then when he texts me let him see that I read it and then don't respond in a couple of hours. Right. And so just, just that in itself or another one, um, again, this is all coming from these, uh, so-called modern day dating influencers or relationship advice influencers, if you, you know, would, would call them that. And they're, you know, either late twenties, thirties, and they're still single and, or maybe in a relationship, but this is their advice to women, my age in my twenties. And another one is like uh, talking about, hey, if this guy doesn't follow up after the first date, then this is this is verbatim. This is what someone says. And she's a popular influencer as well. She says as a sarcastic way of saying it, but she goes, you know, go buy some flowers, light a candle and hold a funeral for him as in like he's done because he didn't text you after that first date, right? And my logic, again, my way of thinking is also different, very similar and aligned with yours. But mine has always been, when I read that, I remember thinking, well, as a, just because you're the girl, why can't you follow up and say, hey, I really enjoyed it and see what he says, right? But from those two examples and scenarios, can you give me your thoughts and where what you see right and or wrong about <laughs> those approaches? So I always like to tell people that I asked my husband out on our first date and he's not gay and he's not like an effeminate man. Like he's a manly kind of dude. <laughs> so all of these rules, I always tell people, you know what, if you want to follow the rules and they're working for you and you genuinely like them, then have fun. 
know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's your life and I'm not the police of you. You get to do what you want to do and you get to feel and, and think what you want to feel and think. Um, but I think that generally these rules are crap and generally they play into the patriarchy actually. Um, because it's like, you don't have any power. If you like this person, you just better hope this person likes you back and they'll text you. Right. So like, and, and so like, that's what the patriarchy is. It's literally about taking power from women to men. And I'm not like ostracizing men or making them bad. Cause like they're just playing into it too. Cause it's all so freaking deeply embedded into our brains. But I really believe that whether or not like, like whatever you do, you can't mess it up. Okay. So mm-hmm. 99% of the work that I do with my clients has to do with before they ever, you know, step foot on a first date, it's all about their own internal work, their own internal healing. And by the time they get onto a date or into a date, or even into an early relationship, all they can do at that point is focus on being curious and having fun. Mm-hmm. So if texting someone after a date that you enjoyed, you know, getting to know them and you would like to see them again, if that like scares them off or emasculates them or whatever, they were never going to be available for what you really wanted anyways. And so it's just better to know that sooner than later. So text, text only three freaking hours or the red read, like that's ridiculous. Right. I'm sorry, absolutely ridiculous. I actually don't know the podcast you're talking about. Um, so oh, really, I, I'll call her daddy. <laughs> I feel like I vaguely like it sounds a little bit familiar, but I, I can't even put like their branding to my, like, I don't know the color scheme or, or the people or whatever, but, okay. but like, uh, I don't know. I also feel like sometimes I'm a, I'm a grandma when it comes to this kind of stuff too. So, totally. um, <laughs> really grandma, but, um, so I, I can't like emphasize enough, like how much you don't have to play by these rules. If you don't want to, again, like I'm not the boss of you, you do what you want to do mm-hmm. and you do what feels good for you. But like these, these rules, they're just, they're just, yeah, they're just, they're just, they're crap and they don't work. I always say that these rules will probably maybe help you go on more dates and maybe help you have more sex. Like, I really believe that if you really, really wanted to be in a relationship right now, anybody could. Yeah. Right. I get like, there's some exceptions and like, maybe like more of the blocks are about even putting yourself out there for the most part. And, and so I get, maybe it doesn't apply to those kind of folks, which I get, I, I've had, I work with those clients too, but for the most part, like my problem was never like, I could get into a relationship for sure. But like, it would have been a crappy relationship. It would have been a relationship either that, either that was like super toxic or just super like, um, I was like way more into them than they were into me or I was like deeply settling and not like very interested in the person. Like I could have gotten into any relationship that I, not any, but I could have gotten into a relationship. I wanted to be in a relationship. And so like, yeah, will those rules help you do that? I don't know. Maybe I'm sure they work for someone or cause someone keeps repeating them, mm-hmm. but like, that's not really the kind of love and relationships that I advocate for certainly in my life and certainly lives of my clients. And just what I believe that we as women are capable of. Mm-hmm. Would I, and again, I, this is vague and I know like, I'm not saying to generalize it, but just curious if you are able to give your thoughts or maybe you've heard this, like from your, a client of yours say this about someone else, but would you think it's a red flag if a guy or or woman just doesn't matter anyone in going into a dating scenario if they were to say they're looking for a relationship do you 
do you ever find that as a red flag or I don't want to say red flag either. Cause I'm not trying to be dramatic and say, Oh, this is a red flag. Like, you know, they're completely off the grid, but just, is that something to take note of is like, do you find there a, a common pattern for someone that says they want a relationship or do you think that people actually mean it when they say that? That's really hard to say. Yeah. You know, because I mean, I wouldn't call it a red flag, but um, you know, I think that, um, I think that a lot of times when we are dating from our core wounds, we have selective hearing. So you hear what we want to hear, um, or we hear what we want to hear, but we don't see what we don't want to see. So sometimes like, so, so this works out in a couple of ways. One, like someone will say like, oh yeah, I want a relationship da, 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 and we'll just take that at face value. And then they might treat you like dirt, but you're still holding on to this idea, but they want a relationship. And I really feel like, you know, that could be great. And like, you kind of have like the fixer upper dream, you know, in, in your head now. Um, and that can keep you kind of hooked on. The other thing that happens is kind of the opposite where it's like, I really like you. I think you're great. Um, I just can't commit. So let's just see where this goes, you know, like that kind of thing. And you're like, yeah. oh, they really like me. And so like you, <laughs> so, like you like listen to that and you kind of latch yourself to that. Uh, but they also just told you they can't commit. And then like in a month, you're like, oh my God, this guy he can't come in. Like, and it's like, look, I'm not judging. I 100% have been there many times. Um, but again, that's all dating from the wound of hearing what you want to hear and then ignoring the rest. So, um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think in general, like people have, I, I think, you know, there's no like one list of like red flags. Like these are all the red flags you have to look out for. And if anyone's selling that, like, it's just clickbait. I'll just say yeah. it's just clickbait. <laughs> like I'm different and you're different. And like, what might be a red flag for you, like, isn't a red flag for you and, or vice versa. And that's totally fine. Like we're different humans and we have different needs and wants and desires, both from our life and also our relationships. Um, now again, are there universal red flags? Like, you know, you know, I'd certainly wouldn't want to be with a pedophile. I mean, Jesus, right. like, <laughs> so like, yeah, okay, fine. But like, I'm talking about like beyond like the normal things that no one would want to <laughs> have in yeah. their relationship. Um, but I, I think what's, it's not really a red flag to me that someone says they want a relationship. I mean, for me, like I actually appreciate having that kind of bold assertion, like on a profile, for example. Totally. Um, but for me, what's a red flag is when they say one thing and then their actions show something else. Um, to me, that's a red flag. And then what's even a bigger red flag is if you were to ask them about that, like how the actions and the words are kind of not lining up and then they kind of get defensive or make something like about you or something like that's like, those are red, major red flags for me. Okay. One more tangent off of the red flag, if you will. Um, do you, cause again, I think these are common things that like from what I've hear or conversation, all conversations I'll have with women is just these uncertainties of like, I can't tell, you know, if this is right or wrong, whatever. So another one is usually whether if someone is showing a lot of interest in you right off the bat, let's say they're texting you every day or, um, you know, just showing you a lot of like, like not overly affection, but just like showing a lot of strong interest, like, and it makes you feel like, okay, like they're actually interested and they're doing it consecutively or consistently for not just like, you know, two weeks, but let's say, let's say like a month or two, let's say like two months, right? Because that's usually a period where you would think, okay, if, if they're just like not that serious or not that actually committed to that interest, they, they would fade off 
on average, you would think after a month, but let's say they keep it up for two months. Like, do you, do you see any, or have you seen any similar stories to that where that can be relatively alarming? Um, I mean, it sounds kind of like love bombing, uh, but you know, like, like, look, like when I met my husband, it was super easy. I always knew that he was going to text me when he said he's going to text me or if I texted him, he would always respond. Like we didn't do this bullshit, you know, dating game, right. whatever stuff. Um, so, so yeah, like if they're responsive to you and their level of interest matches relatively your level of interest and yeah, that could be a great thing. Um, but what I think you're more getting at is I think what you're probably asking more about is like this almost control thing and like this love bombing thing. Um, and so if someone's interest is greater than how well you actually know each other, that's a huge, huge, uh, at least thing to look out for. Okay. Ooh, okay. That's a so, good, that's a good one to know. <laughs> yeah. And so I find that like when someone's like texting you a lot and it, and I understand, like I have so much compassion because like, it is very, very easy to fall for that, especially if you haven't healed these core wounds and you have like this inner child who just deeply wants to feel loved. And then all of a sudden you have someone in your pocket, like blowing up your phone, like <laughs> telling you how amazing you are and they want to see you and they're thinking about you. Like, yeah. I mean, Jesus, I, I fell for that so many times because like, I didn't do the work to heal this inner child. And so I just became so susceptible to, to that kind of behavior. But like, if like their actions are just greater than how well they actually know you, or like they might be doing all the stuff, but they're not actually, actually asking you questions to get to know you. Mm. Then like, to me, I mean, like best case scenario is that it's completely innocent and they're just falling in love with the idea of you gotcha. and you probably just got to cut it off. Cause you, pro- they just need to like deal with their own stuff and like right, grow right. a little bit as a human and worst case scenario, it's really like it's, it's control. And like, they're just, I'm not saying they're consciously doing this, but like most likely unconsciously, like trying to like kind of weasel their, their way in so they can nestle right up in that void. And if they can fit in there, they can lock in and then they can control you. Because then like, if you ask for something or if something they do upsets you, they can be like, but I love you. Or like, this is real. I've never felt so much so close to you. And you can feel like, oh my God, they're right. You know what I mean? And so that's obviously worst case scenario. So I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen if someone's like really, really, really like, you know, consistent and following up. But like, um, and I think it also just goes with your, you have to go with your gut on this because like a lot of times if you're like, a lot of times what happens is people are kind of picking up on these red flags and they're like, something feels off, but they doubt themselves because they are getting so much attention. So then they're like, they're trying to convince themselves like, no, this is okay. Like, this is good. This is how relationships are. Like, this feels so easy. It's never felt easy before. Da, 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 da. And so then you get in this conflict and like internally when really it's just your intuition the whole time being like, nope, 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 nope. But like you're battling it, but it's your intuition this whole time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I and it's very interesting too. And I and I definitely agree that it definitely is borderline love bombing. I feel like it's it's a concept that especially young women like myself, it's kind of hard to gauge like what that really is. And of course, yeah. it's kind of based on the context, but um I think you made a great point in that that definitely is more alarming if it's they're doing it greater than how much they actually know you or how well they know you, right? If and it's if they're early- not making yeah, if they're not making attempts to get to know you. Right. right. And I mean, like really get to know you, like not just asking how you're like, how was your day, babe? And then like you say, like, actually it was really hard. 
and they don't ask you about it or not like emotionally, like wanting to connect with you or talk to you or comfort you about it. Like that's not really getting to know you either. Um, like I dated this guy and actually this happened to me one time, but it was completely innocent. Like he just, right. you know, had some insecurities or whatever, um, and was totally love bombing me in that kind of way. But it wasn't like the control manipulative kind of way. It was more mm-hmm. of like the, he just needs a little bit of confidence and I'm not gonna be that person to give it to him that kind of thing. Um, and, and so, you know, I just had to gently <laughs> cut, cut it off. But, um, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, like, um, yeah, I would consider it a red flag. It doesn't mean it's definitely going to be an emotionally manipulative or abusive situation, but that would be worst case scenario for sure. But it would not be something again, like I understand it's hard to like, not be excited. Right. Right. About it. If like, cause like really like what the inner child work is ultimately all about. It's about where you source your worthiness mm-hmm. from. So like, do you source your worthiness from making a certain amount of money from making certain grades, from looking a certain way, from someone liking you, being in a relationship, all those things. So if you source your worthiness from things outside yourself, then you're very susceptible yeah. to this kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. If you source your worthiness from within, then if you are love bombed or whatever version of variation this is, mm-hmm. then it's like you, you can have like a little bit more of your, again, not that you want to have your walls up and be like, mm, whatever, but you can have a little bit more of like, how does this feel? this doesn't feel right. or This doesn't feel authentic to me. And then you don't need this person to make yourself feel good enough. And it's much easier from that place to be like, I'm a no, right. <laughs> like, have a nice life. Like, nice meeting you, but no, totally. And that's such a great point too, is that it's all about internal work, which is, you know, a lot of what this show is focused on is like the, the different aspects that we can work on within ourselves for the internal work. But I want to dive into emotional availability. Can you just describe yeah. What, what does it really mean to be emotionally available? Like, I know we throw that f- phrase and that term around a lot. And I think for the most part, we, we get the gist of it, but, you know, can you describe it more in depth and, you know, also signs that someone is emotionally available or signs that you yourself are emotional, emotionally available? Yeah. So being emotionally available is not an on or off switch. Um, it's not something you are or are not. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, I'll, I'll, I can share at the end, but I created an assessment around this so you can score yourself. Um, so I think of emotional availability from a scale of like zero to a hundred. So zero being like, you're not emotionally open at all. Whereas like hundred percent emotionally available, you were just like, you know, a convenience store open 24 seven. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be hundred percent emotionally available. Okay. So like if you're an introvert or anyone like anything like that, listening, you know, not to worry. Um, I think like around 80% emotionally available is, is great for being, you know, in a place to date and potentially be ready for the relationship that you want. And so to me, like being emotionally available, it's really about, I think, I mean, to put very, very simply and shortly, it's really about being available to potentially be rejected you know, which is something we talked about before, um, because that's just part of the deal. And it's a part of the deal that we accept in other parts of our life, right? Like when you're applying for jobs, you might get rejected at your job, you know, at the job that you applied for. Um, but, but like, you're probably not sitting at home, like, just like, you know, not applying for jobs. Cause like you kind of, most of us at least need money to like pay the bills. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, but with our relationships, 
you know, we, well, I guess some of us do sit home and don't try to date at all, which I totally understand and lots of compassion and empathy for, um, but being emotionally available is basically about being okay with potentially being rejected. And I think it's also about being able to be seen. Um, so intimacy, if you say slowly is into me, I see. So if you're not open for someone truly seeing you, even though that might mean rejection, it might mean judgment, um, then you're probably on some level closed off. Again, you don't have to be a hundred percent open and your emotional availability might grow as you get to know somebody, but you do have to have some level of being open to being seen, showing some vulnerabilities, being vulnerable with someone in order for there to be a potential for connection. So the way I like to think about it is if you're 0% emotionally available, you could go on a hundred dates, but a hundred times zero is still zero. So you're probably not going to get a lot of return on your investment (laughs) for it. Um, And so this is why I say like, no, dating is not a numbers game. You can go on all the dates you want, but if you're just like not open to being seen, being potentially rejected, being vulnerable, then like, you're probably just not going to like, you might as well not date and really just focus on you for the next little bit. Now let's say you're like 30% emotionally available. So like I think of it like in percentages. So 30% would be like hundred dates times 0. 0.3, 30%, mm-hmm. then, okay, fine. So you're going to maybe potentially have some more fruitful dates that have potential to go somewhere. That's not bad, right? Like 30% of the dates you go on, like, okay, fine. But like the more you can increase that emotional availability then like, I believe the less dates you need to go on, um, because you're just so much more likely to be one choosing, picking the right people. Um, but then two, just being open for something to actually grow from it. Um, so I don't encourage my clients to go on a bazillion dates. And in fact, like if my client goes on like one date a month, like, I think that's awesome. If that, Mm -hmm. if it feels like just like just the right person, um, then again, not having like high attachment to it working out. Cause again, rejection is still potentially part of the equation or it is part of the equation potentially. Um, uh, but like, you just get a lot more bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. So, to, so, to um, so I don't think it answers your question. I yeah, 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 it does. No. And <laughs> I guess a second question to that is, are there any ways that especially women, because again, we, let's just say if, if we want to really be stereotypical that on average men are less emotionally available than women, or, you know, maybe have, not done. So I don't buy the premise. I don't buy that premise. Okay. Why is that? Uh, because again, like I was saying before, like there are more stereotypical ways that are more widely known mm-hmm. that men are emotionally unavailable. Like the whole aloofness, non-committal, doesn't want to talk about emotions, only want sex, all that kind of stuff. Like these are stereotypes, right? Mm-hmm. We see them all over. We see them in pop culture. We see them in movies, TV shows, Instagram, like everywhere it exists everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, women though, I don't think are any more emotionally available by any measurable statistic. Um, it's just that the ways in which we show our emotional unavailability are not as stereotypical. So they fly under the radar. So we miss it. And that's like really the whole point of my emotional availability assessment, because in fact, my guess is that there's probably a lot of ways in which women are showing up emotionally unavailable, but they're missing it because it's not like these 
stereotypical obvious things that we see in the movies or tv shows or or whatever so so would you say almost like similar to those um two scenarios earlier like the red receipts thing or like the refusal to continue to maybe talk to a guy because he didn't even text us after a first date and would you say those are similar to or signs of women being emotionally unavailable Totally, because you're yeah. shutting down your emotions to play a game. Right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah. So no, yeah. You don't, you don't want to be rejected. You don't want to be hurt. So you're shutting right. down your emotions. So you can't be rejected or hurt. So yeah. Right. yeah I, I think that most of us are actually emotionally unavailable until we decide to do the inner work. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, again, I'm not saying it's not an on or off switch. It's not like you're on, you're emotionally available one day and then like, woohoo, like you can live the rest of your life like that. Like it's a spectrum. Like. Mm-hmm. Some days, some periods of your life, you're going to feel more emotionally available than others. Um, but I don't think it's true that women are wired to be in a different way mm-hmm. um, or that women just, you know, want relationships and men don't, they just want sex. I think that's just playing into stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And like, again, like you can play in that stereotype if you want, you can do whatever you want, but like, is it working for you? And is that, you know, right, I, right. I just, I think it's a false premise. I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't think it's right. So I want to be candid too. I don't believe in that either. Um, However, I think whether, whether women do or don't, I think their obstacle is still being able to understand how to find an emotionally available man or someone that, or maybe just um, maybe let's say they're not even good at reading the room or being able to tell from, lack of experience or whatever, are there simple signs that you could suggest that might not saying it's a guarantee, but might showcase that this guy is potentially has done that internal work? Uh, I think, I think the best thing you can do in that case is to make sure your own side of the street is cleaned up. Right. Because like people who are I do think that when we are emotionally unavailable, we tend to attract more unavailability or emotionally unavailable and not because of like some supernatural law of the universe, um, but more so because um, on some level, someone who's not really available, whether emotionally or physically, like they live somewhere else or they're Mm -hmm. in a relationship or whatever um, on some level, those relationships probably feel a little bit more safe because you don't actually have anything to lose. Right. Because, you know, like ah, this person, like consciously, probably unconsciously, like, you know, like this is safe, like this person, like, you know, they're not, nothing's really going to come from this. So I really can't get hurt. And so there's some sort of familiarity. There's some sort of comfort in being with someone who's not really available. They're not really able to see you. So you really, the deep part of you can't really get rejected or whatever. Um, So I think that if you're attracting a bunch of emotionally unavailable people, then instead of trying to like judge whether or not they're emotionally available or not, that kind of gets you into that jury thing of like innocent before guilty kind of thing or Mm -hmm. guilty for innocent kind of thing. Um, What I think you have to do instead is just look at your own emotional availability-ness and then just notice how you feel with the person. Like, do you feel judged? Do you feel open? Do you feel scene do you feel like um like how how do you feel with with the person so again it 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 requires a degree of your own emotional um availability uh and then i then i do think that people who are emotionally unavailable when you are available those patterns and those behaviors like they're just like 
they almost it just becomes like oil and water you're just like i'm not playing this game right <laughs> no. like like if you don't want to meet up with me on saturday like just fine but like bye <laughs> right right so like, so, so you'll feel not, that yeah. misalignment you you would say yeah because yeah, it's I, just like, I agree just with like that. i'm not you're just like i'm not playing this like you know what I mean? And you're just like, whatever, like have a nice life. Good luck. <laughs> right. Right. No. And it's funny that you say that because like, just, just the way you said it is very similar to how I often say things. Like if I, you know, in the past, if I was talking to someone and it was just kind of hard to gauge, or maybe they're kind of like playing around with this, like lack of like, Oh, like, yeah, we'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll see what, what my schedule is like on Saturday. To me, it was like the same mental thing I'd say to myself. I was like, you know, it is what it is, right? Like if you, if you want to be direct, you can say it. And I have already yeah. said my side, but it, I just kind of laugh because I'm like, oh, that's kind of my tone of voice in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Towards the end of my dating, when I was dating from a place to being more emotionally available, like if someone was playing that game, I would like, not like corner them, but I would be like, okay, I'm available Saturday evening. Do you want to hang out? If they're, especially if they're like, well, let's just see, or right. like kind of being whatever. Yeah. And like, it was a yes or a no. And if it was a no, I'm like, you know what? I'm really looking for someone who has space for a relationship. So good luck. Right. And um, so, so I think that, but what I think when you're unavailable, you, you're more likely to play into that, into that game because yeah. it feels yeah. comfortable. It feels familiar. Um, and remember like, come, there's a reason why, like when you walk by a cookie shop and you smell your grandma's chocolate chip cookies like all these warm and fuzzies come all over you mm -hmm. like you like things that feel familiar yeah right and yeah. so like when you're in a dating situation or some sort of relationship situation that it might not be really what you want but it feels comfortable there is that like sense of home that sense of like coziness mm. <laughs> that you can get kind of wrapped up in even though it's not really what you that really what you want and so that's why I always say like you know, like when I talk about my story or when I work with clients, I'm like, this work is really about you. Yeah. And it's really about you coming home to you. And along the way, you'll meet your partner. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I really believe that's what happened with me. And, um, and you know, the other big secret that I tell clients is like this work it's, it's about dating. Cause I understand that's like, that's like the issue that brought you to me and listening to my podcast and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but like, it's also not about the dating. Yeah. It's really about you yeah um and your relationship with yourself and your worthiness and your emotional availability and then when you look at that then yeah your relationships will transform but so will all the other areas of your life is because we can't just like look at dating like you know through like horse, horse blinders and just because because then you're just looking at the like oh do i say this or do i text that or when yeah. do i text back and like yeah. we've already talked about why that doesn't work I could not agree more. And, and like, I, it's so funny because I feel like I have a very, I resonate strongly with your story and like your journey to kind of how you, you know, really worked on that inner self and inner work because I, for me, it kind of stemmed from a relationship that, you know, was, was great actually, but it was just a lot of, I, it, it pushed me to realize, okay, there's a lot of internal work you need um, in part because of my own upbringing and, you know, lack of X, Y, and Z, but then me recognizing it at an early age for, for the good and bad, you know, it's bad in the sense like, damn, like you, you hit that so early. I was only like 20, but now that's why I'm, you know, talking about this with you. Cause it's, it's so true. And that's why I, when I see and hear these stories or, or, friends and peers around my age in the early mid twenties, sharing these Instagram stories of what these, again, dating influencers are saying, I, to me, it kind of mind boggles me. Cause I'm like, I, why would you do that? Like, why would you turn on your red receipts? Like, why would you go through all of that just to prove a point to that guy you're texting? And then like, 
intentionally text him hours later. Like to me, my first instinct is, isn't there an issue with you then instead? Because like, I, I see that as like, that's too complicated. You're overcomplicating something that could be really simple, right? Yeah. And when you're playing a game, you get permission to, for the other person to play a game. Right? <laughs> you know, so like, it's like people are always pissed off that other people playing games. I'm like, uh, are you playing games? Are you playing into it? Because like, you're kind of telling them it's okay. Right. If that's Right. Okay. Well, one last question. Um, I sure. know we talked um, a lot about like dating relationships and just kind of the mentality around um, how we can better approach it and what it really means to be emotionally available and the spectrum of it. But on, I guess, more on your personal level, out of all these things we talked about, what would you say really fulfills you in life? <laughs> um, what fulfills me? I mean, I do get a lot of fulfillment from my work. I have to say that. Um, I, I do feel, I, I, I really do feel like this, my, the business and the work that I do with my clients is an extension of myself. So mm-hmm. I definitely get a lot of fulfillment. I can't lie and be like, oh, well, it's my husband. Like, you know, I mean, like, yes, that too, but also yes. this, <laughs> I have the Capricorn <laughs> and they're super like into their work and whatever. Um, so I get a lot of fulfillment from that. I am also a new mom. I have a one-year-old. Um, and so that's been super, uh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's been fun. Um, and I get, you know, I, I never really thought I was like the mothering or mommy type. I never really like, you know, identified with that, but I I actually really do get a lot of fulfillment from, uh, being his mom. And, um, I'm, you know, I get a lot of fulfillment from my relationship. Um, you know, we've had to overcome a lot and we, you know, we, and in a lot of ways, like, even though we met, like we, we weren't spring chickens when we met, but like, we have grown up a lot together because, you know, I was definitely on my path when we met in terms Mm -hmm. of like my own inner healing. Um, but I cannot say that I was like, (laughs) uh, who I was that I am now. And, and so he's really been, you know, agreed to like come along for the ride and has really agreed to like, you know, we're a couple who wants to grow together and works on our relationship and like, we're active, you know, you know, with that. And so I just get a ton of fulfillment from that. And I'm really proud of that because that doesn't happen by accident. Yeah. Wow. Wow. No, I, that's amazing. Love. I love that answer. And I've always been a firm believer in that a lot of our life fulfillment comes from the strength of our relationships, as well as just the, the passion and, and impact we feel in the work that we do. So you, you really hit that on the head there. <laughs> Um, well, where can everyone find you share all of your content, your social media and, um, yeah, where they can access that, uh, the assessment test as well. I definitely want to link that in the show notes. Yeah. So I definitely recommend the emotional availability assessment. And so there I'll go over some more potential ways that you might be unknowingly emotionally unavailable. And then depending on your score, it's like one of those magazine tests, you know, we all take in Cosmo or whatever. (laughs) So depending on your score, I have some action steps and things for you to do. Um, so you can grab that assessment at veronicagrant.com forward slash assessment. Um, and you can also listen to my podcast, wherever you're listening to this one, (laughs) Uh, it's called the love life connection. And there I have both clients and also community members on the show. And I actually coach them through various, you know, situationships and issues going on in their love life. Um, and I do that deep coaching. So that inner work, 
um, inner child kind of coaching. So if you're like, okay, this sounds kind of interesting, but not really sure what she means or how this actually works, or it sounds pretty daunting. Um, it's not, but you listen to that podcast and kind of get a feel for, you know, what this kind of coaching is that goes beyond just the like text this or say this or mm-hmm. do this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, those are the best places, um, to, to connect with me. Amazing. And as always, I will link that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on today, Veronica. This was honestly so much fun for me. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun too. And that was all for today's episode with Veronica Grant. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to let us know, share this on your Instagram stories, tag at what fulfills you so I can see, or of course, just slide into my DMs and let me know, provide some feedback. You guys know I always love staying personal and chatting with you guys one-on-one in the Instagram DMs. So you can find me at what fulfills you. And before you head out, if you haven't heard, the official What Fulfills You card game is available for pre-order at whatfulfillsyou.com. And if you are a listener, which you obviously are, you get 10% off with the code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. The code again is whatfulfillsyou10. As a full disclosure, if you are hoping to get this game by Friendsgiving, Thanksgiving, all of that, and before holidays in general, then you have to order it during the pre-order because that's the only time I can guarantee it will be delivered before Thanksgiving. So again, everything is on the website at whatfulfillsyou.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show. I'm so grateful for you all. I will chat with you all in the next episode.